Welcome to the midweek edition of Couch Potato Diary, coming to you from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions Broadcasting Studio. Clearwater Cleaning Solutions is a leading locally owned cleaning company in Calgary. They have a team of professional and insured sanitizing experts ready to tackle any commercial or residential cleaning job with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Thank you to Clearwater Cleaning Solutions for being on board with the podcast today, and thank you to you as well for listening. If you have any comments on the show, Twitter and Instagram, I am at Primetime. I'm Klein, twitch.tv slash primetimepk, and you can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. Coming up a little bit later on in the show today, we will chat with Justin Dunk about all things CFL as we get our, uh, gear up for the Canadian Football League's offseason. But we begin today with what is, once again, the biggest story in sports, and that is gestures aggressively at the world around us, the pandemic that we are still living in. And this has been just a delightful reminder that we are still living in it because it has felt a little bit more normal recently. And I understand I am not the social butterfly that some of you might be. So staying at home for long stretches of time has a sense of normalcy to me. But if I want to go somewhere, I can go somewhere. And it hasn't really felt like we were in a pandemic aside from a couple, like still wearing masks and stuff like that, but we're a couple years in now. That just feels like normal. Uh, but now everything feels like it's crumbling around again. And I don't, I don't want this to turn into a political thing. I'm, I'm certainly not anyone who is speaking of, of any expertise on this. But it does kind of have a sense that it, it feels worse than it actually is just because it was so overwhelming yesterday, the amount of people that were being placed on the list. And you hope, first and foremost, you hope everyone is okay. Um, that, that is the, the first thing that should come to mind. And then when you get to this silly little thing that we do called sports... I wonder how, I'm, I'm going to be interested over the next few days and weeks, how these leagues handle it. Um, a report coming out today from the Calgary Flames, uh, 26 members of the team have been placed in the protocol in some way, shape, or form. It sounds like a couple of them got it to the point where they noticed it, and aside from that, everyone felt fine. I wonder, and I'm not advocating for this, and quite frankly, I don't know what I am advocating for in this, but I wonder if we get to a point where leagues kind of just say, fuck it. And if you are asymptomatic, then you're allowed to get back out there, champ. Like, I just, I wonder if we're going to to get to that point. Because a lot of the, the stuff that was going on in the NBA, guys were playing with it and had no idea. And... Again, who knows about long-term effects and all of these types of things. I'm just, I am wondering from a league perspective, when you look at how this is, and in a lot of cases isn't affecting those, especially those who have been double vaccinated, and as we head into booster season now, I wonder how the leagues are going to handle this. If it's going to be like we saw before, where whatever... If you get it, like, you're you're out for a couple of weeks, are we going to have taxi squads back? How are we going to, to handle this? I think it's going to be very interesting to see. And now you have an Ontario where it sounds like maybe, like, we're not going to allow crowds again. And it might get to a point, once again, where the Raptors may have to go somewhere for a little bit to play their home games if if things continue. Like, we are we are getting back into a point where all of these discussions are happening again, and it's it's just difficult to maneuver again because it doesn't seem like this one's as serious, but again, I don't know. And it, it's only not serious when it's not happening to you, right? So it's, it is very tricky, but I, I do get the sense, and this is no reporting, but I kind of get the sense that leagues might just go fuck it with this and just let them play. 
Um, I don't know if that's the right way to go about it. I don't know if it's the wrong way to go about it, but I do wonder if it is the way they are going to, to go about it. As far as the Flames go, I would be surprised if we see them... Um, Will Nault tweeted something, are we going to see them again in 2021? That's a while still. Like, that's two full weeks and a bit. But man, 26 is a lot. <laughs> 26 is a lot. And I don't mean to laugh, because it's serious. Um, we might not see them again in, in 2021. And who knows how that affects things going forward, because... Before, NHL teams and every league had... The the NBA didn't even release their second half of the schedule until very late in the first half of the the season. They haven't done that. Everyone has everything completely mapped out. We'll see how the NFL handles things. The Cleveland Browns might have to take the week off or just put out a roster that's not very good. Like, this is... It's going to be interesting to see how all of these teams handle things over the next little bit. But again, first and foremost, you hope everyone is okay. But this is going to be... This is the next step in this. And do you take it as seriously as it, as you did before? Or do leagues adjust? Uh, we'll, we'll see. Moving into the actual games on the actual playing surfaces, let's dive into the NHL a little bit. And the Vancouver Canucks are getting that new coach bump as they come from behind to beat the Columbus Blue Jackets last night. This is still an incredibly flawed roster, and this is still an incredibly flawed hockey team, and I don't think you take a come-from-behind win against Columbus and say, okay, well, all is right in the world. But at least there's, you you can remember that there's something there with this Canucks team. Um, the, The GM hire is going to be fascinating out in Vancouver and how they are able to build around this core that you have, but for and I am, I am in no way endorsing the job that Jim Benning did. I think a lot of the good that happened with the Canucks kind of fell into his lap. But I do think that when you look at this team, I think you have to understand that there is actually something there. It it is that this while it is an incredibly flawed roster, this isn't just a completely lost hope situation. Moving a little bit east from Vancouver into Edmonton, as the Oilers have lost their six in a row, and a fan threw the jersey on the ice, and pearls were grasped across this grand nation of ours. How could someone throw a jersey onto the ice? Such disrespect. I will admit the the calls of, well, it's disrespectful to the whatever, whatever. Um, those have calmed down over the last little bit, which I like, because guys put Frank the Tank 69 on a jersey. Like, we've we've long passed the, the sanctity of the jersey. The Raptors have green jerseys. Like, it's the, the Leafs play in a green jersey sometimes. It, yeah, it's whatever. But one of the things that came out of this that always bugs the hell out of me is when you have a team that is struggling and then you have a fan base that criticizes and then you have other people in that fan base going hey you have to be a fan no matter what no matter if they're winning no matter if they're losing no matter if they're tying if they're not playing if they're having a practice day a morning skate two a days strength training whatever bro you gotta cheer for the team and no you don't do what you want um like, don't come back with the, yeah, I've been there through the hard times and the whatever if you take a couple of years off, but do what you want. It's 2021. The entire world is literally and figuratively burning around us. If you want to get pissed off and throw a jersey on the ice, as long as it's not hurting anyone, do it. I don't care how you treat your fandom. This whole, and it came up so many fucking times with the Flames where 
they they would be struggling to, like it's almost like the if you can't handle me at my worst you don't deserve me at my best it's like sorry that ain't what sports is about i it is stupid expensive to go to a hockey game in this country right now so if someone's going to be a little bit pissed off about it go for it i don't care I'm not going to think less of you as a fan. I'll think you're an idiot because jerseys are expensive and just don't. But this isn't a a mark that this person isn't allowed to cheer for the team anymore. Get all the way the hell out of here with that. I I always, always, always hate it when people try to govern. It's it's right up there with, it's below, but it's right up there with the, the, oh, well, got to take your man card away. It's like, really? Do you? I hate that kind of stuff when it comes to... That this like fan culture thing in in hockey. Like, yeah, if you want to blindly support your team the whole time, go for it. A, that ain't my job. Um, and B, you're allowed to have a critical thought about things sometimes. Like if if the the things that you love in your life you can only think positively about forever and ever, then congratulations, but you are a thousand percent whistling by a graveyard. As far as the actual need for that is concerned, it's pretty fucking stupid to to do that from an oiler. Again, I think it's stupid all the time. I think, like, just don't go to the game. Um, if you want to, to really protest, like, not that it's going to deeply affect their bottom line, but don't buy the $100 jersey just so you can throw it onto the ice. Like, that's not... that That's not really making an impact on these guys, I don't think, one way or another. The Oilers have lost six in a row. I get it's been a frustrating last of most people's entire lifetimes for the Edmonton Oilers, but they're still a very good team. They are still, I believe, if they're not in a playoff spot, they are right around a playoff spot, and they lost to one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. I get this is a grander picture thing going on here, but I, I think the Oilers fans need to chill. Now, from an Oilers standpoint... I do think this last little stretch has been a bit of a wake-up call that, yeah, McDavid and Dreisaitl might be like two of the top four players in the NHL right now, but you need more, and this team has always needed more, and they've never been able to get more, and how they continue to screw up the more getting around this team is actually difficult to wrap your head around. There are times where if you were trying, you couldn't do worse than what they have surrounded these players with. And each year, they'll make a couple of moves, and I think it's okay, this is getting a little bit better. And then it doesn't. And it's, wow. So, I understand the frustration from Oilers fans a little bit. Is it worth throwing a jersey on the ice for? No. Is it but then is that worth, like, banning a fan for life from being an Oilers fan? Like, sorry, you've now been relegated to the Kraken. No, it's not. People need to chill. And also, I understand we are in difficult times, and this is the season of giving and all of this. Oh, that you would have been better off donating that jersey to a kid. So, yeah, you probably would have been. It would have been better off not buying the ticket at all and just filling the place with, with orphaned children. Sometimes you're allowed to just act impulsively. Like, it's... Any kind of hand-wringing over this entire situation, I just find the stupidest. I can't bring myself to care until people start caring too much, then I'm just going to make fun of you for it. Moving into the NBA, uh, the Toronto Raptors with a major blown opportunity as they fall to the Brooklyn Nets in overtime yesterday. Brooklyn with eight players. Now, to be fair, one of those players is Kevin Durant, so it's like they had ten. But that is still not a game that you can afford to lose. The Raptors are still in the midst of a playoff battle. And it does seem like because expectations were so low and you got the win in the draft lottery by being able 
to get Scotty Barnes, and that, while not a transformative pick for the organization, certainly puts you further ahead than if you would have been selecting in the 8-9-10 range. But it feels like there is absolutely no criticism of this Raptor team this year. Uh, and I'm not going to say absolutely no, but it, it feels like when stuff like this happens, it's just like, ah, oh, well, what did you expect? They're supposed to be bad and they're kind of okay. It's like, no, 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 no. We, we can expect better from this Toronto Raptors team. And I am I am now at the point, I'm expecting better from this Toronto Raptors team. Do I anticipate this team making the playoffs without having to get into the play-in game? No, not particularly, but I can still want more from this team. And it just, it feels like too much around the Raptors right now is just a happy, happy we're there sort of a thing with the, the Raptors. And it's been a weird-ass time for the, the Toronto sports fan, for sure, with the a couple of your teams not being able to play in Toronto. But I, I just feel like there should be a little bit more criticism on this Raptor team, because that is a really bad loss, I think, the other night. I don't care how good Kevin Durant is. When you're losing to eight dudes in the regular season in overtime, that's... That's tough, man. Uh, Steph Curry sets the record for most three-pointers in the history of the National Basketball Association. First of all, we've known for a little bit, but this really drives home. Clearly the best shooter of all, of all time. Like, the, I, I will not hear any other debates on this. The only thing is that, like, Steph doesn't have, like, that Ray Allen moment, but there's, like two guys in the history of the world who have that. It's a very specific set of circumstances that needed to come up for Ray Allen to, to have that. But if you're telling me game on the line, the aliens are about to take over the planet, you're not relying on Steph Curry from three, you're out of your ever-loving mind. For Steph Curry, um, it's just, it was... It was awesome to see that it meant something to him. And it was awesome to see that he let us know that it meant something to him. Athletes can be so buttoned up about all of these things that it's just, it's great. It was great to see him actually show that emotion. And I was thinking about this today. He is probably the most transformative sports person in his sport that. I have seen in my time watching sports. Like I, I am a bit like Gretzky was playing when I was growing up, but I, I was born in 1989. So, um, in my lifetime, I think Wayne Gretzky's cup total is pretty low and that's not a shot at Wayne Gretzky. It's just, I wasn't around to appreciate the transformative nature of Wayne Gretzky. And you can make the argument that we are still seeing it today because of the, the Western expansion and all of that with him going to, to Los Angeles to play with the LA Kings in that trade. But still, I could not really appreciate and fully grasp the the true merits of Wayne Gretzky on that line. And you look at Steph Curry and how different the game is played now, I think specifically because of him. Like he has, for better or worse, guys pulling up from the logo now all the time. And I, I think that this, and again, for better or worse. But I think this revolution that we have seen where the three-pointer has become the most important shot in basketball is basically because of him. And I know analytics have been saying it for a bit, but we saw, like, for example, in the, the Stanley Cup playoffs in, in the NHL, 2011, if the Vancouver Canucks beat the Boston Bruins, I think analytics takes hold a little bit sooner. We saw it was inevitable. But there was a, I would say like three or four year stretch where the Bruins model was a thing and everyone was trying to get bigger and bulkier and slower for some reason. 
And the game clearly wasn't trending that way, but it kind of paused for a little bit. If Steph Curry isn't having the success that Steph Curry is having now, I don't think you are seeing the the wild stretches toward the three-pointer. And again, you can make the argument that it is good or bad, but I think this one dude made it so that the entire sport recognized a better, more efficient way of playing the game. Now, teams have bastardized that 100% they have, but I don't think there is anyone else in sports who has made an entire sport change the way Steph Curry has, at least in my lifetime. And I was just, I was trying to think of examples. Baseball, it's so hard because you just, you, you, it's tough to have one guy be so transformative. You're kind of limited in what you are able to do. And I think there was a slew of guys who just started throwing really, really hard. And then it kind of dawned on people, hey, we should get a bunch of those guys who throw really, really hard. In hockey, like you have Connor McDavid, who is a generational talent, but there's only a couple of guys who can do what, what he can do. And now Steph Curry is the greatest of all time at shooting, but you can get a bunch of guys who are good at shooting. And I, I think teams have kind of recognized that, that there is a need for more speed and skill in the game, but I, I don't think that was a, a Connor McDavid thing, nor do I think that was a Sidney Crosby thing. I think, honestly, the most transformative thing that Sidney Crosby did in the early part of his career was get hit in the head a bunch. And that, I think, forced the NHL kind of kicking and screaming to take head injuries a lot more seriously than they were. And I'm not saying that he hasn't had a great impact on the youth of Canada or anything like that, but you get what I'm saying. You look at football, and maybe Patrick Mahomes is kind of revolutionizing things a little bit, but we were already seeing passing numbers and passing statistics going way, 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 way up. Um, like, there there are a couple of minor things in football that I think Russell Wilson helped, like just bringing in the smaller quarterback. I guess Russell Wilson and, to a certain extent, Drew Brees as well. Like, bringing in the small quarterback and being a little bit more open to that. But again, that's not changing the entire way that the sport is done. I really think when you look at people who have a lasting impact on the sport, I think we're going to look at the NBA and kind of this era of the NBA as before and after Steph and before and after this entire wave of three-point shooting. And I, I don't know if there are many players in the history of the sport or in the history of any sport who will have that legacy. Another story from the NBA is that trade season opens up now. It is December 15th, which means that instead of 65% of the league being available in trade, now 84, 85% of the league is available to be dealt, which is a big deal. Um, so it, it just, there are different benchmarks in the NBA calendar where once you reach this day, then guys who signed contracts are allowed to be traded now. And I, I think that's a weird way of going about it, but I understand the Players Association maybe wanting that so you don't get signed and immediately traded. It makes my life more difficult in NBA 2K, but I'm not dealing with real human beings, so whatever. But I am interested to see how this all goes, because it really feels like this is kind of the ramping up of things. And there are a few teams I'm interested in. Apparently, the Boston Celtics are looking at potential Dennis Schroeder moves now. That would be very interesting, and I... If I'm the Celtics, I think that there is a real need to try to upgrade because they are dangerously trending toward the land of mediocrity with this team. Like you have Tatum and Brown who are the good, uh, Tatum more so than Brown. And you have Marcus Smart who is developing and is a guy who I like but don't love. And they're just kind of there again. Like I, I was never in on this Celtics team this year. And this is even with Schroeder playing uh, or Schroeder playing as well 
as he has. I, I think he, he is kind of the reason you're as good as you are. If you can package him in a deal to get a major upgrade, then I think you have to do it. But if you're Portland, like, is that, is Schroeder in a bunch of picks enough for Dame Lillard? I don't think so. Is that enough for Ben Simmons? I certainly don't believe so. So what what realistically are you getting that is an upgrade for the Celtics? But I, I think they do need to be a little bit aggressive. And this is an interesting test for Brad Stevens. Because you know, if Danny Ainge was there, something would be happening, right? There, there would be some kind of big shakeup as this team tries to get out of the play-in bubble right now. Another team that I think we are going to see a desperation move out of is the New York Knicks. They're 5-10 and 10 at home. They are currently sitting 12th in the NBA's Eastern Conference, and you can expand the playoffs all you want. 12th is never getting in. So it, it seems tricky for the Knicks. And R.J. Barrett in protocol right now, he has not been the guy they thought he would be. Julius Randle, I really think that the playoffs greatly affected him this last season. And... I think that is carrying over into in, into this year. And I think there are things about the Knicks that I really like. I hated that Fournier contract, and now he hasn't really done anything. But it's on the two stars, and they clearly have not been good enough. I could see the Knicks really trying to make that kind of desperation heave again to try to... I could see them overpaying for a Dame Lillard, like really going over the top. But again, what do they have that, that can do that? Like an... Unless it's RJ plus a bunch, I don't know if they're doing that. And then it's an upgrade, but is it like that much of an upgrade? It's it's a tricky one for the, the Knicks to be in with just these guys not playing as well as you thought they would. Then there's the obvious LA Lakers, who it's just not working. And I get that they were banged up for the first part of the season, but that was merely an excuse. Like this just, the, the Russell Westbrook thing isn't really working. AD has, I think, taken a pretty substantial step back over the last 18 months or so. I think the Knicks, or sorry, I think the Lakers really need to make a move to to try to get some kind of creativity into this team again. And I, I think the perfect guy for them would be an Eric Gordon providing a bit more shooting. He's not absolute lockdown defender, but he's all right. He can defend. Um, and that's something that this team needs. But they, they just... They are flat. They are kind of, they're just dull. And that's weird for a LeBron, AD, Westbrook, Lakers team to be. Another team that I think we could see make a big move is the Dallas Mavericks. I, I think that they were kind of banking on making a big move in the offseason, as they have for the last several offseasons, and it kind of hasn't really panned out. But they are wasting some of the best years of a superstar in Luka Doncic. And this year has not been a great one. I, I think this is a team that kind of needs another adult in the room. And I wonder, like a Goran Dragic, I think would be a very interesting fit with Dallas. But I think you kind of need someone to tell Luka, like, look, you are extremely talented, already a top five player in this league. But if you took this stuff seriously all year round, you could be the best player in the NBA. And I, I think they kind of need a guy in there to kick him in the ass a little bit. He needs a bit of heat culture in his life. And the team that I, everyone's going to be focusing on as well, the Portland Trail Blazers, I said it on the, the Sports Rundown podcast. If I'm Portland, I think that the opportunity makes a little bit more sense to try to give her instead of blowing everything up. Like, Dame Lillards do not come around all that often. And the West is not insurmountable right now. So while the, the easier thing is just blow it up, get picks, and try to, to start over again, I don't know, like, what what are you getting a first-round pick for that's of any kind of value for the, the Portland Trailblazers right now? Like, Dame Lillard, for sure, but... 
if you're trading him to the Knicks and things go well, like there, that's probably a first round pick in the twenties. Is that helping you a whole lot? Probably not. If you're trading him to the Lakers, same thing. Same thing with the Dallas Mavericks. Like you're you're not getting that game changer of a move. And then like CJ McCollum, I don't think anyone's touching that right now just because of the the issues with his lungs. Like that is a a very serious thing. And you wonder how he is going to come back from that. And then like Nurkic isn't giving you a first. Norm Powell isn't getting you a first round pick. At least he probably shouldn't. So I think it's easier right now for Portland to try to go for it than it is for them to to tear things down. Uh, All right, going to hear a little bit of music and then my conversation with Justin Dunk as we get ready for a busy CFL offseason. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. You can find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be and find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. Justin Dunk from Three Down Nation and the coverage of the Vanier Cup joining us on the show today. Dunk, thanks for doing this. I guess let's get right into it. Grey Cup 108 now in the books. And it was after a season where we were talking about points are down and it's not the most exciting football. That was one heck of an exclamation mark to put on the season. It was a game the CFL needed. We had been talking about points being down across the league, and that was multiple seasons, not just in 2021. And I think part of that was due to the layoff. But the CFL needed this game to put their stamp on and say, look it, Canadian football, three downs in all its glory, is still a highly entertaining game, and that's exactly what we got in the 108th Great Cup. Let's start with the winners, uh, Winnipeg. This is not a Montreal run from the, the early 2000s or Calgary after that, but back-to-back Grey Cups is pretty impressive. And if, if you get one more, you're, you're starting to look at some kind of dynastic type of run here for, for Winnipeg. But where are you at on, on this version of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? It's the start of a dynasty in my mind. They might not necessarily be there yet, but this Blue Bombers team has been competitive and at the top of the West Division for the last number of years, even before they won the Great Cup. Like, not right at the top, obviously, because that was Calgary, who were the last Great Cup champions in 2018. But they've been competitive and on the come-up, and now we see them go back-to-back, and especially in 2021, just dominate the league outright. So I think we can start to talk about this Blue Bombers team as a dynasty. Their quarterback, Zach Kleros, uh, I think if when he kind of burst onto the scene, if you would have said by 2021, this guy's going to have two great cups, I, I think that I would have said, yeah, that checks out. That that makes complete sense. The, the journey that he has taken there, though, has been quite an interesting one. And it, it kind of felt like maybe he wasn't going to, to kind of fulfill this potential. But it, it does kind of seem like Zach Kleros is now career-wise where he's kind of supposed to be. It's the dare I say, more mature version of Zach Kleros, because when he first came into the league, right, Pete, you saw this, he was more of a runner, and he could beat you from the pocket, but he was a guy, too, that could rush the ball for big downs and key situations and move the chain. So, in my mind, this is the more veteran version of Kleros. We see him escape the pocket when he needs to. He can still run a little bit, and we saw that in the Grey Cup, but... By and large part, he's going to use his weapons and dish out the ball to guys like Andrew Harris, obviously, in the running game, and Kenny Lawler and Nick Dembski and Rasheed Bailey, Darvin Adams, he was raving about. He said, I told you guys I would go to him in the clutch, and he did, and Drew Wolitarski had a big game as well. So it's a guy that 
is going to spread the ball around and has a real feel for the offense that he's in with Buck Pierce. So it's much different than the Zach Claros that played at Cincinnati in the NCAA that was electric to watch because he was a dual threat guy and he can still get it done on the ground, but it's a more mature Claros. On the opposite side, I feel so bad for Hamilton because uh, they've got so close. They haven't won since the calendar flipped to the year 2000. And again, they've been close a bunch. And I look at this team and I I like this roster a lot. Um, For for Hamilton, what do you think they need to, to kind of do to get over the hump here? The offensive line needs to be better, and that was something that held them back. But to me, the defense played outstanding football for the majority of the season, and they were on the field a lot. So if you're the Ticats, you're going to want to bring back as many pieces on D as you can. Of course, Jagarrett Davis was a beast, especially in the playoffs. Julian Hauser on the other end I think is underrated. Dylan Wynn in the middle just has a motor that doesn't stop. You have Simone Lawrence, obviously a linebacker, still playing at a high level. Probably has an argument for that most outstanding defensive player award that Big Hill got, but the Bombers' defense was so dominant that I think that's why a lot of voters went that way and giving it to Adam Big Hill. But the Ticats' issue is not on defense, it's on offense. I think they need more consistent quarterback play and they need a legitimate A1 receiver or that top receiver because Brandon Banks just was not that guy in 2021. Now, can he come back and surprise and really get back to that MOP form or something like it that he showed in 2019? It's possible, but we just didn't see that from him at all in 2021. So they need a couple of targets that can really scare you that have experience. I think Tim White has a lot of potential, the young receiver that they have there, a guy that was literally 16 inches away from qualifying to represent the United States in triple jump at this past summer's Olympics. So I think they have some intriguing young pieces there, but they need a 1A receiver and they got to fix the offensive line. With Brandon Banks there, um, it kind of felt like I, I thought they were just easing him back because he, he gets banged up in the uh, in the middle part of the season. He comes back and they never really fully unleashed him. And I, I thought, OK, they're, they're just kind of slowly building him back for the playoffs. And then they don't really use them a whole lot, even in the East final. It's boy, they're really saving him up. Uh, and then we, we don't see him a ton in the Grey Cup. Do, do you think what we're kind of seeing the the back part of, of Speedy B's career or or is there a chance that this was just kind of a one off? It seems like it's trending more towards like he's in that back nine and on the downside of it, he's turned more into a leader. And Speedy B didn't come out right and say it during the season. He was asked a bunch of times, but he felt like he was slower, although some of his teammates said that he was still just the same fast Brandon Banks that we're used to seeing. So I think part of it had to do with injuries. He was dealing with, I believe it was a rib issue earlier in the year, which was really painful, especially for a guy of his stature. Took a shot in the end zone against the Argos. And ever since then, I don't think really felt super comfortable. And generally, if you have an injury to your ribs, you're probably going to need the offseason for it to heal up if you're not going to have surgery. So In my mind, I think there's a chance because if he's fully healthy and ready to roll again in 2022, we could see the Speedy B of old. But I think what 2021 has shown is you need another dude there with him. 
As far as the, the Canadian Football League as a whole, we, we have heard a lot of talk about different changes for the, the CFL, um, whether it be some stuff with the XFL, maybe some stuff with the ratio, but uh, the, the fourth, uh, adding a fourth down seems to be the one that has kind of caught most of the attention. How different do you think the CFL could look when we go into the 2022 season? Well, that's going to be a discussion, certainly. It's getting louder behind the scenes the more that you talk to people in terms of potentially going to four downs. And that was a topic that came up when the league was talking to the XFL. that Hey, we're going to at least look at everything here and have the discussion and see where it might go. It would upset a lot of people, certainly. I think not only that discussion, but the big storyline in the offseason I think is going to be the collective bargaining agreement right it runs out just before training camps are set to open in May and hopefully with COVID around and the variants we can have another season but that's going to be a major discussion point where does the salary cap go how are the players treated is there revenue sharing with the players that we've seen in other leagues which can completely change the complexion of the entire league so in my mind those are critical elements that could change the whole way the league is viewed going into 2022. With the the potential uh, CBA issue there, we're seeing in baseball right now, there's a, a lockout going on, so no movement allowed now. But leading up to it, we saw just a, a flurry of moves. Do you think that the, the CFL's offseason might be slowed up a little bit because of uh, uncertainty around the, the CBA? We've gone through this before in the CFL specifically where people felt like, ah, players might not sign and it might delay things and then might wait. But every time free agency opens up and players are quick to sign because they know the money is going to get dried up. Now, I asked Randy Ambrosi directly at his State of the League address if the salary cap was going to go up and he somehow referenced this new partnership with Genius Sports, which my mind has nothing to do with the salary cap. He clearly did not want to commit to paying the players more, yet he talks about caring about the players. So we'll find out and see if Ambrosi's an actual real participant in these discussions. But the teams are going to have a general idea of where the cap's going to be at because the board of governors and presidents are going to relay that down to the teams. And ultimately, and I hope it's different this time around, but what usually ends up happening is the players are dictated to. This is what the cap will be. This is potentially, you know, if it happens, what revenue sharing will be. So I don't necessarily think that's going to hold up player signings. If the players do want to try to have some leverage here, then yeah, if they got on the same page and said, hey, we're not going to sign, we're not going to make your big off-season event in terms of free agency that everyone pays attention to. And we can see it at Three Down Nation, the traffic spikes hugely in and around free agency and really that entire month of February and of course leading into it with January as well with the potential re-signings that the players get on the same page and say hey no we're not going to sign at all we're not going to give you any event in the offseason you know outside of the potential combine in the CFL draft then I think that's where they could create some leverage and there could be a real difference there. Shifting down to the team that I, I focus on the most, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. If you look at their free agent list, it is basically their entire roster, minus Cody Fajardo and a few rookies. Um, how different should Rider fans expect this team to look as the, we get ready for next season? It's essentially almost every team in the league, right? It's like the whole roster, except for the rookies and you know potentially the quarterback, as you referenced, and, or some other key guys are free agents. So for Saskatchewan... 
they're going to want to try to retain some of the core guys that they had on that team. Obviously, A.C. Leonard is probably atop that list. Duke Williams on the offensive side of the ball. I think there's questions now about Shaq Evans because of the season that he had. It was largely derailed by injury, and I think they'll want to have him back because of his relationship with Fajardo. So you could see those three as the core three that they need to go after and re-sign, but there could be some changes elsewhere because players are going to want more money. It was difficult enough to keep that secondary together as it was because it was a veteran group, even just for 2021. But if they're willing to take a little less and keep some cohesion in the defensive backfield, then I would imagine they're going to want to bring a large part, if not all of that starting defense back because that unit was so good. That was clearly not the issue there. The defense played at a high level despite losing Charleston Hughes and Cameron Judge in free agency and those guys going to Toronto. And to be quite honest, not really having great seasons, right? We might have seen Charleston Hughes at the back nine of his career or near the, near the end, maybe walking up the 18th fairway. So in my mind for Saskatchewan, it's about protecting Fajardo better. The offensive line needs to improve. Now that said, they did have a bunch of issues there that they didn't foresee coming into the season. They didn't know Brendan Labatt was not going to play. They didn't know that Taron Vaughn was going to be injured. So if those guys either come back or get healthy or there's other opportunities there, then you could see the riders quickly upgrade that O-line. Where are you at on Cody Fajardo? I, I always reference a, a podcast that I heard from um, NFL Network where it was uh, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks talking about quarterbacks and whether they're trucks or they're trailers. And I, I kind of get the sense of Fajardo that he's a really good trailer, really nice trailer, nice shiny trailer, but a trailer nonetheless. But where are you at on the, the Riders starting quarterback? It depends what season we're talking about. If it's 2019, then he's a truck. But if it's 2021 in the Jason Moss offense, then yeah, he's a really nice trailer. So to me, that's the key element here is Fajardo actually a fit for what Moss wants to do in his offense? And do they need to tweak things if Moss indeed ends up staying around again for the 2022 season? I say that only because, you know, you never know what can happen in the CFL. So that's the real difference for me. In 2019, he looked like a legit franchise guy. He was a CFL All-Star quarterback. Yes, we need to remember Bo Levi Mitchell and Michael Riley and even Trevor Harris dealt with injury that year. But still, he led the league in passing, looked like an up-and-coming dude as a dual-threat quarterback and a guy that could beat you as a passer. But he regressed, and I think part of that in 2021 was due to the offense. Now, they had a whole offseason to talk about it, get prepared. Not even an offseason, I should say, a whole year because the 2020 season was canceled due to COVID, largely. So... He had more time to get prepared in that offense than he did in Stephen McAdoo. So I know a lot of people wanted McAdoo gone, but Fajardo, if you just look at season over season, performed better in McAdoo's offense than he did in Jason Moss's. So we'll have to see what happens there in terms of tweaks to the offense overall. Certainly the O-line being better will help because Moss does like to push the ball down the field. So if they can protect more, then that would aid Fajardo in that way and help out Moss in what he wants to do. But it's really a case of, I think we need more of a sample size here to see if he is a truck or a trailer. I think he has the ability to be a franchise guy. That said, I would tell him, delete your Twitter account or get somebody else to run it and stop reading that stuff. To the quarterback that uh, we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, is Zach Caleros kind of a, a blueprint or a roadmap that Fajardo could follow? 
You can, potentially. I mean, Caleros has done it now. He's won two great cups. It's a long way for Fajardo to go and get there. I mean, he's been close to getting there. Obviously, been in two West Finals. But it's a whole other thing to get there and then win and do it and cement yourself as one of the best quarterbacks currently in the league, as Caleros has done and win an MOP award. So, to me, there's the possibility there. And you can see it, especially if you look at that 2019 season with Fajardo. But he's got to show that he can win a West Final and actually get to the Cup first before we can talk about him winning a Grey Cup. Because just ask the Hamilton Tiger Cats, it's a difficult task to do. Out in Edmonton, one of the bigger stories of the offseason is their search for a coach and a general manager. And on a podcast I was on earlier, I, I suggested that Chris Jones would be a hilarious candidate, but threw it out just jokingly. But now it seems like that could actually happen. How realistic is it that we could see Chris Jones back with the uh, with the Edmonton football team? It's possible for the simple fact of money, right? They let... Brock Sunderland go, Jamie Elizondo go, and they're going to have to deal with that on the coach's cap. Now, the league behind the scenes might just say, hey, do your thing, and we're not going to charge you if you go over the cap. But they want cost certainty, so I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. Now, you can amnesty one of those, so you can get rid of Sunderland's contract, but you're going to have to amortize Elizondo's over five years. So that's part of the reason why a guy like Jones's name has come up, because he can be your head coach, he can be your GM, he can be your defensive coordinator, he can pop the popcorn, he can fill up the beer, like he can do everything. So it helps them out because they don't have a lot of money to play with or less money than the other teams, I should say, to play with in terms of that football ops cap. A couple more with Justin Dunk here from Three Down Nation. Uh, you covered the, the Vanier Cup and covered U-Sport football all season long. I have often said when you look at the popularity of the NFL and trying to grow things in the Canadian game, I think one of the things that is lost is the players coming in from U-Sports. Like the players coming in from the NCAA to the NFL are already stars. Um, is there a way you would like to see the, the college football game grown? Because I, I do think that that could help the, the CFL as well. Yeah, I think there's a point to be made there. Not that it's going to be to the NCAA level where those guys are stars before they get to the NFL, like a Bryce Young who just won the Heisman Trophy for Alabama or guys before him, right? There's tons of stars in NCAA college football that Canadians know, right? Canadians north of the border watch NCAA football. They know who these guys are. So in my mind... We need to have more coverage and that's going to come, if it's going to happen, to develop these guys into stars in the form of games, right? People watch games. That's how they get attached to players and you can tell the stories there because you have the biggest audience, right? There was nearly 3 million people who watched the Grey Cup on TV. I'm assuming it's hundreds of thousands of more that streamed it. And you compare that to how many people watched the day before media interviews, let's say, or practice, right? People aren't watching practice. Like, really, we're talking about practice. So it's the games that need to get on TV or need to be streamed and more readily available and covered in a proper way. Each school has a streaming setup, but it's not high quality. So when you come in there with a high-quality broadcast and people who have done their homework and can tell you about the players and develop an attachment between the viewer and the players, then I certainly think that that can help. So I'm with you. The more coverage we can get of it, a national game of the week in some form or fashion would be great in terms of growing those stars. Uh, and lastly, the the CFL draft. What kind of a, a draft class are we looking at for the, this upcoming year? It's an interesting one overall. I think there's some 
potential for it to get even better, like a guy like Nick Weeb, who plays for the Saskatchewan Huskies as a linebacker, University of Oregon transfer, seems like he should be eligible. And in my mind, he would be the best linebacker in the draft. But it's an intriguing class. It might be sort of balanced in a way where you have some top tier guys at other positions, but I don't necessarily know if it's going to be the deepest draft of all time. All right. That's all I got, man. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Yeah, buddy. Appreciate you. All right. That is Justin Dunk from Three Down Nation. And that's the show. Thank you guys for tuning in today to Couch Potato Diary from the Clearwater Cleaning Solution broadcast studio. If you sign up with Clearwater Cleaning Solutions to become a regular residential client or a commercial client, we offer a 10% discount on your first month. Thank you to Clearwater Cleaning Solutions for being the studio sponsor, and thank you to you for tuning in today. If you have any thoughts on the show, you can send them my way. Twitter and Instagram, I am at primetimeklein, twitch.tv slash primetimepk, and you can email the show couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. Coming up uh, later this week, I will be on the Fresh Take Network's Sports Rundown. We got We Had No Idea, our general history podcast, this week talking Pablo Escobar. That's coming out a little bit later on this week. And then we got the Friday show as well. So still a lot from me. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll talk to you later this week. I'm out.